0: And welcome to another episode of Book Club with Caden Kelly, a podcast where we read books and we talk to people to improve our health, our wealth, our wisdom, and our peace, to live better lives and to be better people. You know me, this podcast is live on Mondays, except today is actually Tuesday. Tuesday, May 30th. Because yesterday was Memorial Day and yesterday was spent doing a whole bunch of other stuff. So I took today yesterday off and I am recording this episode today. So if you want to join me live, usually on Mondays. But if you want to know when we're not going live on Mondays and shit, then you can uh, follow uh, where we go live on YouTube and Facebook and Twitch. You you know, you just follow and turn on your notifications like people do when they when they follow people to figure out when they go live. So you can join the, the conversation uh, with others in the chat. You can find links to the socials in my blog, Kelly's kadenkellysblog.wordpress.com. Has the links to all of those live places. It has links to the socials, has some blog entries. It has uh, a self-improvement worksheet to help you be the best version of yourself, baby, because that's what we're doing around here. You know us. You know how we be. You might notice if you join us live and you watch the video that uh, she looks a little different around here, huh? She looks different back here behind me. I moved rooms because I got a new roommate. And so I had to move rooms and it might be a little echoey in here, a little more echoey, I'm aware. There's also boxes behind me and like a plain white background. So it's because I just got white doors and white walls behind me right now. And so that's how it is right now for all of us. And I hope that it doesn't affect the recording too much, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. Anyway, welcome to another episode. <laughs> uh, we're starting a new book. And I should have grabbed the sleeve, because I don't have the sleeve. Uh, but we're starting a new book today, and it's called Outlive by Peter Atia, M.D. Let me grab the sleeve really quick. It's just right behind me. It's important to have because the sleeve is going to have the author's bio. And that's really important, especially for a book like this that we're going to read. Let me tell you about our boy, Peter Atia. A lot of you might know him from, you know, the Joe Rogan experience. <laughs> and that might turn a lot of you away. And it might also get some of you really excited. But it is what it is. That's I learned about Peter Atiyah from a friend, uh, St. Steezy, whatever his Twitch name is. And also from listening to him on Joe Rogan Experience, and uh, let me tell you about him from his bio from the book. Peter Atia, M.D., is the founder of Early Medical. He received his medical degree from Stanford University School of Medicine and trained at John Hop- Johns Hopkins. Blah, 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 blah. Trained at Johns Hopkins Hospital in general surgery. He also trained at the NIH National Institute of Health as a surgical oncology fellow at the National Cancer Institute, where his research focused on immune-based therapies for melanoma. He served on the editorial board for the journal Aging and is the host of the popular podcast, The Drive. And I've listened to, I think, two episodes of that podcast, and they're so informative because he's so smart. And I forgot to mention there's a second author, It's co-authored with a guy named Bill Gifford, and there's a little bit of a bill on here. Bill Gifford is a veteran journalist and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Spring Chicken, Stay Young Forever, or Die Trying. His work has appeared in Outside, Scientific American, sorry, Siri's trying to talk to me, Scientific American, Men's Health, and other publications. I actually, I need to figure out how to turn off, no, I'm not talking to you. I think it's because when I like I lift my arms up to read something from the book, and while I'm talking, she thinks I'm talking to her. I need to turn that off for the podcast. Or maybe there's a – because, like, just do not disturb mode does not do it. So I'm going to turn that on, and maybe that'll – yeah, I think that did it. So now it's just off. So, yeah, this book, Outlive the Science and Art of Longevity interesting book uh it's uh and it is one beefy book to say the least it's uh sorry I don't love my this is my first episode in this new room and my I'm just you know I'm kind of I'm learning about the quirks I have my camera set up in one way and it all it kind of like the way I want to turn my chair so I can face the camera it gets jammed against my desk so I got to move my camera or something or I just got to stay jammed against the desk uh this book is beefy. It's got it's like four hundred fifty pages or something. Let me see, four hundred pages. Scroll to the end of the epilogue. It's four hundred and eleven pages. And it's not the you know, it's not the finest print, but it's big. It's like big surface area, you know, so lots of words on the page. Um nice hardcover book. And it's like a fucking textbook. It's it. He's just a smart guy. He's been talking about this subject for a long time, researching it for a lot of years, has lots of experience, uh, especially in cancer. His cancer was his specialty. Uh, Surgery was his specialty. Right. And he's just he's a very smart, educated guy. His uh, his history kind of he talks about his history a little bit. um, Going from general surgery to some accounting job where he did a lot of math and then back to oncology. I think is, we went to oncology from there, cancer research and cancer surgeries. And then from there has since, I think he's since ended his um, practice as an oncologist and is now pursuing this, uh, I don't know, like this um, passion of longevity, this, this, the science of longevity and for those of you who aren't aware what longevity is, he describes it. And we could pr- probably just describe it as we jump into the book. huh? So let's just do that instead. The book was published earlier this year. It's 2023. Yeah. This is our first 2023 book, I believe, that we're covering. Um, I have to say as a, as a preface to the book. Uh, just like any kind of advice that you should that you hear from anybody should always be taken with a grain of salt. Um, he says this: the information and advice presented in this book are not meant to substitute for the advice of your family's physician or other trained healthcare professionals. You are advised to consult with healthcare professionals with regard to all matters pertaining to you and your family's health and well-being. There you go. So if you've come here to learn about how to live forever. Uh, or how to take, more specifically, if you've come here to figure out how to how to resolve any personal medical issues you have, then please note that that is not what we're trying to do here, we're, and that's not what Peter is trying to do. He, Peter is here to talk about longevity, the science uh, of uh, health span and lifespan, but not necessarily to cure diseases. This, that's not what this platform or this book is about. So... Keep that in mind as we get started. I'm hoping, you know, this might be another four-parter, four-hour, four, one-hour episode podcast, but, you know, it might not because you remember that Lawrence Krauss book that we read, um, The Greatest Story Ever Told So Far, which which is basically everything we understand about physics and the creation in the, of the universe and, um, you know, things like that, the the first chapter of the book was awesome because it was more philosophical. It was like why he thinks that science is um, so significant to understanding the universe and why and how religion has failed in a lot of ways. Which, if you know me and if you're a recurring listener, you know that that's exciting because I have a history in religion and I am critical of religion. And uh, also that. There's lots to be, there's lots that we understand about the natural, world, but there's probably more that we don't understand and science is actively discovering it. Scientists, I'm not, I'm not discovering shit. I'm just reading what they discover. And so, but then the rest of that book by Lawrence Krauss, it was, it was Uh. it was a really deep dive on the actual physics, things like. How we discovered electricity and how electricity influences magnetism and how we understand magnetism and discovered it and moved on and on and on from from physicists to scientists to physicists, you know, and super interesting, especially if you're a physicist. But as a layman like me, it was like reading a textbook. And to me, this book by Peter Attia is kind of like that. It's kind of like a longevity textbook. It's not like it's not. It's not speculative it's really re- it's super research uh, based and uh, uh backed science backed it's got a lot of really useful and intriguing and interesting and stimulating knowledge or pieces of work, but it's not you know it's not like a story. He tells some stories, uh, but it's also not really about self-help it's like he, he outlines what longevity is how we uh, how we can utilize it the best to to our unique circumstances and then you know and then from there we're all left to our, to our own devices to actually following through on on the on the work that he's done to give us the information so it's interesting that way this book is interesting in that way but it is us uh, it is a kind of a tough read and the reason I the reason I explain that is because there's might be a chance that we get through it kind of quickly, even though it is such a beefy book and I'm I don't even think I'm halfway done reading it yet. Uh, it is just a beefy book. It's gonna take uh, or, uh, but you know, but there's not like a lot to talk about in each page. I, I'm not, unless you want me to talk about which I'm not going to because that's not the point of my podcast. Um, oh I can't take that call right now. Uh, unless you want me to you know which I'm not going to you go listen to you go listen to his podcast if you want to learn about how uh heart disease originates and the the like step-by-step um process of where heart disease comes from and how it gets to where we're at you know that's a totally different that's a totally different kind of podcast i'm here to talk about i'm here to cherry pick the data and the research and the findings that these scientists and doctors uh, and physicists put together right and put it together in our lives to live the best versions of our lives. While it's important to understand the mechanisms to these, uh, to these processes to understand why we do the things, you know, why we should do these things, well, how they influence our bodies and our brains. um, I'm not here to talk about the mechanisms. I'm here to like, try to help us apply it. That's, that's kind of the intent of this podcast. And with that being said, I am going to take a I'm going to pause this I might even stop the stream for a second so I can take this call or I could call this guy back because it's important and I will be back in a moment okay we're back you know how it goes over here got I got people that are uh, that need me for help so anyway I wish I wish that uh, it all got fielded through somebody else most of it does but anyway I'm back. All right. Now we can jump into the book. So anyway, yeah, I did all my description. We might get through this quick. We might not. I still got lots of notes because there's lots of info to take in. But let's see how the conversation goes. huh? You never know. You never know until we get started. Okay. I also, I probably should have taken that time to listen back to some of that recording to see how it actually sounds in this new room. All right. So... Um, This book, oh, now he's calling me back. Uh, I got it. I'm going to say. Oh, man, what am I supposed to? I don't want to stop this podcast again. No, I'm not going to. Sorry. I don't know what to do. Introduction to Outlive. In short. This book is about addressing the cause of our illnesses and ailments rather than only addressing them after we've arrived. That's like the conclusion for every chapter. And honestly, I could, you know, like in a, in a it's a really good brief summary of everything I've read so far. The book is about addressing the cause of our illnesses and ailments rather than only addressing them after they've arrived. Uh, I'm not going to spoil anything. We're going to move right on to part one. Chapter one, the long game from fast death to slow death. So yeah, interesting that he starts the book with uh, death because essentially the whole point of longevity is to prevent death and not just to prevent death uh, all by itself, but to prevent death while also maintaining our health. But he illustrates two different ways that people die. There's fast death, which are things like accidents, injuries, or infectious disease. Things that, you know, that happen suddenly, suddenly or can happen randomly, sporadically, and are often tragic. Uh, fast death. Uh, slow death are things that kill us slowly over time, as the name implies. And here's where he coins a popular term, the four horsemen. Uh, The four horsemen of slow death are cancer, heart disease, neurodegenerative disease, and metabolic dysfunction like type 2 diabetes. These are the four primary – well, it's the four horsemen. They're the four leading causes of death, definitely in the U.S., but probably around the world. And they are – and they always maybe not always have been, but they well they are they're the four it's the four horsemen and so the so really his approach to the book in the book is how to eliminate these four horsemen and I make a comment later on I just it just pops up in my head now that wouldn't it be incredible if the leading cause of death around the world wasn't cancer, heart disease, neurodegenerative disease or metabolic dysfunction, but what if the number one killer in the world was actually dying from old age, dying from you know in your sleep peacefully, from no direct link to any illness or ailment at all. Uh, we're not there. I don't think. I don't think humanity's ever been there. Um, people die often of something, mostly from something. And as a for, uh, on a philosophical note, it's not always awful that we die from something. Because we all die anyway. Philosophically, remember, we practice or we believe in the practice of memento mori, which is to say we, med- we meditate upon our own death. Because the significance of considering and contemplating our own death is that we uh, we become aware of our life. And and similarly, those that we love and care about. We recognize its shortness. Uh, is futility the right word? um uh, yeah, I think so, but I'm gonna double check. Futility. Apple Dictionary is gonna confirm if I use a fruitlessness, pointlessness, or uselessness. Uh, maybe that's not the right word, because that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is everybody dies. Um, I guess it would be it would be futile to. Try to eliminate death altogether, although there are, you know, I've I've heard of some conversation of like there is a there's a possibility that we could humans could eliminate death over time somehow. But that's, you know, for now, it's futile. Uh, death is at is the most natural thing to occur to any living species or any living organism, any living thing ever. Death is the most natural thing to occur. And then it's taxes, of course, but first it's death. Uh, death is also incredibly daunting and scary because it's so unfamiliar and it's the, it's the cause for so much pain and suffering in living creatures and also the cause for lots of really bad decisions. But death is also responsible for a lot of, uh, or can it can be for anybody can be a source of comfort and relief. um, Knowing that, uh, knowing that we all die, it eliminates like to me knowing that my death is not any less unique than anybody else to, else's death, including the death of my parents, the death of my loved one, the death of all of my friends, my grandparents who are increasingly aging, just like we all are, but they're you know towards the end of a of a typical lifespan. Um, tragic accidents where where. You know, someone dies, experiences this fast death. When you spend time considering that people die all the time, every time, uh, it becomes less scary. Every anybody who's ever lived will die. I know, and it's 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 you know, some people don't like to talk about it because it is thinking about your own death is scary. It's considering what happens to yourself, what happens to your body, what happens to if you believe in a, a spirit. If you believe in uh, an afterlife, if you if you want there to be an afterlife, then uh, maybe even well, that would that would eliminate some fear of death. But uh, uh, anyway, that's, that's there's a whole religious conversation that I'm not trying to have here. The point is that death happens to everybody and it is hard to talk about because it's so mysterious and you only get to experience it once. You only experience it once and then you don't even you're not even around to tell the tale when you do experience it. Um, so this book is about expand, uh, extending our lifespan and our health span, extending how long we live and how healthy we are while we are alive. And those slow death h- for horsemen, cancer, heart disease, neurodegenerative disease, and metabolic dysfunction are the four leading causes of death. Uh, I don't know if it's, I can't remember if it's in the world or if it's in the U S. He says that he dislikes the term longevity, but it is what it is. He says Um, longevity is the study of longevity, quote, "To, to live longer and to live better for longer. Yep. There are two aspects of longevity. They are how long you live and how well you live. Quote, the only way to create a better future for yourself, to set yourself on a better trajectory is to start thinking about it and taking action now. So. Your, your health span and your lifespan are are a result of how you treat your life today. If you're like me, if you were born in 1996, you're 27, coming on 28. Or I guess you could be 26 and coming on 27. How does that work? Yeah, because it's 2023. So you could be turning 27 this year. I turned 27 in January. So um, if you're like me and you're trying to take take uh, caution, take, throw caution to the wind when you're 27, you have a good potential to set yourself up well when you turn 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 and 70 and 80. And the older you get, the longer that you prolong this uh, conversation of, you know, how to, how to live, how to extend the, your lifespan. Um, the harder it becomes, you know, the harder it becomes to pro to extend The quality of life, because if you spend the first 40 years of your life binge drinking, binge smoking, uh, sedentary and whatever, all of those bad things, a lot of bad things happen to your body, and to your brain that are harder to reverse as you age, harder to change, harder to uh, harder to, you know, in some things like cancer, harder to remove, harder to eliminate. So the earlier you start, the better is the is the rule of thumb here. It's the same thing when it to comes to investing, right? I always think about when I, whenever I do my investments, I think about all of the books. All of the investment books that I've read have said I, uh, their biggest regret is they wish they would have started earlier. And I don't know how early they all started, but starting earlier for all of this self-help or just, you know, just all of it, the earlier you start, the better. Uh, quote, the logical conclusion is that we need to step in sooner to try to stop the horsemen in their tracks or better yet, prevent them altogether. Um, yeah, yeah, he called, looks like he tried calling twice. I don't know what to tell you. I got to do this episode. Maybe I'm going to shoot him a quick text. Um, there we go. So there we go. The, uh, the logical conclusion is that we need to step in sooner to try to stop the horsemen in their tracks or better yet prevent them all together. Well, you know, while, while prevention isn't always hundred percent, it's not possible hundred percent of the time. Uh, in fact, I you know I would I would just speculate that it's almost impossible to prevent any of these horsemen. It's it's possible to uh, catch them early in their tracks, and prevent, uh, prevent prevent a lethal progression of any of these things. Because like I said, we all just grow old and we all just we all get unhealthy and die. And he talks about some people that live to like 110 in good health and that actually pass away in their sleep. But those people are few and far between. Those are the outliers. The majority of people die from one of these horsemen, or they die from fast death. That's why I'm saying it would be it would be significant if we could change the dynamic to living, uh, or if we could change the statistic to being um, the number one cause of death is reaching old age and dying in our beds in our sleep, right? That's But, you know, we're just... We're not there. And that's we're trying to get there. Sorry, I am a little distracted trying to make sure that my boys are taken care of out there. I'm going to go back and forth a little bit, but uh, I'm going to keep going because I, you know, I've only got 38 minutes left. So let's keep going. Okay, read the bracket on page 14. Book is upside down. So we'll go to page 14. This is about a preventative approach to slow death rather than reactive i believe says peter atia that our goal should be to act as early as possible to try to prevent people from developing type 2 diabetes and all the other horsemen we should be proactive instead of reactive in our approach changing that mindset must be our first step in attacking slow death We want to delay or prevent these conditions so that we can live longer without disease rather than lingering with disease. That means that the best time to intervene is before the eggs start falling. As I discovered my own life. Uh, Yeah. Eggs in the eggs start falling is a story that he tells about a a dream that he had, a a, a recurring dream about eggs falling from the sky. And he's running around with a basket trying to collect them before they hit the ground. And he ties it. To uh to be a metaphor uh, or an analogy that instead of trying to catch all the baskets that they as they fall, let's figure out why they're falling in the first place and prevent them from falling in the first place. Uh, the horsemen are more of a disease process rather than an acute illness. They are cumulative, which means they are relatively easy to reduce or eliminate early on. Like, think about heart disease. You can prevent, well, we're going to talk about heart disease, but... For any of you who knows a little bit about heart disease, um, uh, for neurodegenerative disease, which I haven't read a ton about yet in the book. So I'm, I'm still speculating here, uh, cancer, another one that is tough to catch, but if, but it's always better to catch cancer early than it is to catch it late. Um, Heart disease, I think, is, he says, is like the most straightforward because we have science has a really good understanding of how heart disease starts and how to prevent it from getting worse and also how to reverse heart disease in some cases. Okay, let's keep going. Yeah, we're making good uh, headway, are we not? Let's see. The horse, I just read that. One of the early interventions to the horseman is exercise and then read what he says on page 17 about exercise. We talked a lot about hex- exercise in our last book too with Adam Alter. lots of a lot I think all the scientists have something to say about exercise and they always say that it has the most profound effect on our mental and physical health than any other intervention um, let's see on page 17 yes he says exercise is by far the most potent longevity drug. No other intervention does nearly as much to prevent, I'm sorry, to prolong our lifespan and preserve our cognitive and physical function. But most people don't do nearly enough and exercising the wrong way can do as much harm as good. And I haven't, uh, I have not hit his exercise conversation yet, but I know it's a good one. Um, Everything I have read so far has been awesome. Again, it's like a textbook. It's just learning, learning a lot of, chemistry and biology that I had no knowledge of before, which is awesome. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's see. Let's keep going. I think that, Oh, read underline 18. His goal for this book, always important to understand what the author's intentions are as they write a book. My goal says Peter Atiyah is to create an ant. Actionable operating manual for the practice of longevity. My intent here is not to tell you exactly what to do, it's to help you learn how to think about doing these things. So, again, this book is not a, uh, like I mentioned at the beginning, if you're here to learn how to get rid, you know, how to cure your colitis. Um, cause you learn that I have ulcerative colitis and you're like, I've got that too, or I've got Crohn's, I've got something similar and I want to learn how to cure it. That's not what we're doing here. That's not what I, that's not what I'm, that's what my intention is. The, in, the intention is to outline how these processes work so that we can make better decisions, uh, when it comes down to it, when it, when it comes down to the wire. So, um, I have not, I have not yet observed Peter saying if you want to live the longest health span and and lifespan do X, Y, and Z. He is not doing that. He's just explaining it's obvious that these four horsemen are the leading causes of death. I'm gonna just say the United States. Um they're the leading causes of death in the United States. Cardiovascular uh, yeah. Uh heart disease, neurodegenerative disease. Uh, I'm going off at the top of my head. What are they? heart disease, neurodegenerative disease. Um, fuck. I got to go back and. Wow. Yeah. Cancer, heart disease, neurodegenerative disease, and metabolic dysfunction. Wow. I can't believe I don't have that memorized yet. All right. Anyway, moving on. Chapter two, medicine 3.0, rethinking medicine for the age of chronic disease. This is a huge component to how he addresses all of these topics in his book. So let's understand what he means by medicine 3.0. First, he says, quote, risk is not something to be avoided at all costs. Rather, it's something we need to understand, analyze and work with. Every single thing we do in medicine and in life is based on some calculation of risk versus reward. He breaks down the history of medicine into different eras three different eras medicine 1.0 2.0 and 3.0 medicine 1.0 is the hippocrates hippocrates age uh i don't know how to say that name i'm actually gonna look it up right now so I don't say it wrong hippocrates hippocrates he was a greek physician traditionally regarded as the father of medicine says google dictionary um let's see Medicine one So the Hippocrates age, he drew conclusions from direct observations and guesswork, as the father of medicine. Uh, drew, drawing conclusions from direct observations is like me is like me saying, uh, that's a good example. Uh, that you know, like let's say I put water in a pot over fire. And after a certain amount of time, that water starts to bubble. I could say that I am essentially cooking out the uh uh, back, uh Well, I am literally cooking out bacteria. I get my. my yeah, I'm trying, trying to draw. I'm trying to draw an example of observing something in, in the natural world, and and simply drawing conclusions just from what you see. Uh, instead of understanding the scientific method, which is a spoiler alert, medicine part of medicine 2.0. But uh, medicine 1.0 really is no scientific method, it's just kind of like trial and error, doing something and seeing what happens, and then trying something else and seeing what happens, and then trying to, and then just trying to replicate something till you get a desirable resu- result. But there's no science involved. That's medicine 1.0. Medicine 2.0, which arrived uh, in the mid 19th century brought with it germ theory and penicillin and a new way of thinking from direct observation and guesswork to observation and employing the scientific method, hypothesis, experimenting, results, uh, evaluating results, and then repeating. Uh, So it's not just guesswork and it's not just um, trial and error. It's still experimenting, experimenting with medicine and, and... Um, clinical trials and doing that kind of shit and uh, um, employing the scientific method of creating a hypothesis, experimenting on that hypothesis and evaluating the results. Medicine 3.0 is where he thinks that we need to go next. Quote, the goal of this new medicine is not to patch people up and get them out the door, which is what medicine 2.0 does. Uh, like removing their tumors and hoping for the best, but rather to prevent the tumors from appearing and spreading in the first place, which is a significant claim, but one that he thinks is essential if we want to make the next step in medicine. Medicine 3.0 is less about technology and more about another change in mindset. Medicine 3.0 places a far greater emphasis on prevention than treatment, considers the patient as a unique individual, has a starting point at the honest assessment and acceptance of risk, including the risk of doing nothing. And medicine 3.0 pays far more attention to maintaining health span, the quality of life. Uh, medicine 2.0 is reactive to what goes on in our lives. Better at treating fast death. Yeah, medicine 2.0 is reactive, meaning, uh, you know, you come into the doctor with, with fatigue, and uh, lack of sleep, lack of energy. And Medicine 2.0 diagnoses you with cancer or diagnoses you with some illness or ailment. Um, which is, you know, which we're not dogging on Medicine 2.0. It's Medicine 2.0 has changed the way that we live. So has Medicine 1.0. Um, but Medicine 3.0 is a new evolution. It's the next evolution, hopefully, uh, you know, as he, as he suggests in our um, progression of understanding medicine, understanding the body, understanding health and sickness. And so medicine 2.0, and again, it treats fast death really well. And he he tells lots of stories about being as uh, an emergency surgeon and being in the ER and people would come in from car accidents with, and broken limbs and, uh, or, or, you know, big cuts, bleeding everywhere profusely. Unconscious, whatever, crazy shit. But medicine 2.0 is really good at fixing fast death or or um, preserving life, right? Pres- uh, like you come into the doctor and they they diagnose you with, you know, uh, what's a what's a common heart disease like high blood pressure? Medicine 2.0 is is good at 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 addressing some of these problems and then working at reversing them. But again, medicine th- and th- I just can't emphasize this enough. It's the whole point of the book. The whole point of the book is medicine 3.0 going from uh, reactive medicine to proactive medicine. Medicine 3.0 is proactive and medical insurance. Oh, okay. Well then there's a tangent. Uh, medical, medical insurance is designed around medicine 2.0 helping someone after they've become sick with diabetes instead of working to prevent them from getting diabetes in the first place. Uh, medicine 3.0 is an approach to slow death, to, to fixing, removing, slow death. Quote, in Medicine 2.0, you are a passage on a ship. Medicine 3.0, 3.0 demands much more from you. Read on page 35. That's 38. Yes, it's a, it's about accountability here is what Medicine 3.0 is about. You must be well-informed, medically illiterate, to, reasonable degree, to a reasonable degree, clear-eyed about your goals and cognizant of the true nature of risk. You must be willing to change ingrained habits, accept new challenges, and venture outside of your comfort zone if necessary. You are always participating, never passive. You confront problems, even uncomfortable or scary ones, rather than ignoring them until it's too late. You have skin in the game in a very literal sense and you make important decisions because in this scenario, you are no longer a passenger on the ship. You are its captain. I said passenger uh, passage on a ship. Obviously it was supposed to be passenger. So I got to change that in my notes. (sighs) There we go. So that's your active role. You, you are responsible for your own physical, mental health. Uh, no one else's. No one else can fix um, your problems. Even if you are sick and you go to the doctor and they give you medicine, you are still responsible for taking the medicine. If you injure yourself, you're responsible to resting and recovering and doing the physical therapy to get yourself back to health. And the crazy thing, and we talked about this at the end of last episode, philosophically, how are you supposed to get people to do the right thing for themselves? Uh, really, I like honestly, I don't know that you can. In a lot of in a lot of ways, I don't know that you can um, convince people all the like. Every time or all the time to do the thing that's best for their physical health, for their mental health, emotional health. The thing that will allow them to succeed in life the best, to be the best pa- the, the best spouse, the best uh, father, mother, the best parent, uh, to be the best son or daughter. Um, you can't. Those people need to want to be those things. If you are sick, you need to want to be healthy, you need to want to recover, and if you can't, no, uh, like ethically, doctors can't help you if they if you don't want the help. I mean, how many episodes of Grey's Anatomy is that dilemma where the patient comes in with this problem, but they don't care about resolving it, but their partner does, and their partner is like, You need to fix the, these, you need to to the patient. You need to you need to listen to the doctor and get this surgery and take this medicine and blah 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 because you need to you need to take care of yourself. But the patient's like, I don't want to, I don't care what happens. I'm going to live my life and whatever. I mean, it's a, it's a real dilemma because it's, and it's especially concerning when your loved ones, uh, like if you have a partner, or your parent, or a kid, or a best a friend, or you know so, someone that's significant in your life that is actively. Well, you, not actively destroying their lives, but is just is not active, is not actively taking care of themselves. Um, where you observe, re- you know, you observe unhealthy behavior like chain smoking or chain drinking or chain doing drugs or never getting the proper sleep or, uh, you know, like purposely not getting enough sleep. And you and then their their health diminishes and you and it's you know it's when you see that happening to someone you love it's tough and you want them to do the thing that's right for them because what we learn in this podcast is there are what there are actionable things that we can do for our health to be healthy people uh to live to live meaningful lives and um to live uh to like to feel better about ourselves like you you don't live a more meaningful life if you're healthier than the next person. I don't mean to say it like that, but I what I do mean to say is um, if you enjoy if, – if golfing brings you meaning and purpose in life or if being physically fit to take care of your spouse or to take care of your kids uh, or to take care of your parents is important to you, then if you actively don't do those things or things that will promote that kind of uh, that the physical state that you need to be in, then you're only diminishing your own quality of life, unfortunately. And you're responsible for making the changes and taking action to be a healthier version of yourself. I mean, that's it. So, and I assume anybody that's listened to 40 minutes of this already is in that place, in that state of mind where they want to be better, the best version of themselves. Or you just listen to this out of pity or sympathy for me, in which case, I still, uh, I still count your download. Um, but the, these episodes are designed, like I like I say in the introduction, to improve our health, our wealth, our wisdom, our peace, to live better lives, and to be better people. Not for everyone else. We don't want to be healthy um, just for everyone else in our lives. We want to be healthy for ourselves because it's a top priority for ourselves. That's what we do here. That's what we study here. That's what the books, these, these, that's why we read these kind of books and talk about them, right? So you are, you are the primary factor for your own, uh, that, that doesn't mean that, you know, if you're born with shitty genes and he talks about genes a little bit that some people just have better genes than others. Um, that doesn't mean if you're born with shitty genes that you can't be a healthy person, right? Or that you can't be the best version of yourself. Because I am no Channing Tatum or The Rock Johnson, even though, you know, who knows what what they're up to. But I don't, I don't have their kind of stature. I don't have the performance ca- capabilities of Cameron Haynes or David Goggins. And I haven't lived, I don't know if I'm going to live to 112, like the oldest person that's ever lived or however long they lived for, you know? I don't know. But what I can do is live the best version of my own life. And if your own life and and listen to me, the best healthiest version of my life is doing what is being a responsible person to keep my ulcerative colitis at bay. I'm I'm, I will live the rest of my life with an autoimmune disease and it's my responsibility to not make it worse. And there are things that I can do in my life every day to, to keep or, or, uh, or to, to be a healthier individual. I can't cure my colitis from what I understand. I, there's nothing that can cure my colitis um, but there are things that I can do to just be a healthier individual anyway to reduce the risk of other illnesses and uh, which will you know just will in turn help me live a higher quality of life will help me live uh or feel better in my own skin so that's where that's where we're at you're responsible for yourself and there's not much more to it Chapter three, objective strategy and tactics, a roadmap for reading this book. Uh, All right. So, yeah, he talks about objective strategy and tactics a little bit. Uh, The objective to delay death and to get the most out of our extra years uh, to be strong and capable in our 70s and 80s rather than in decline uh, has anyone watched, what's that, uh, um, shrinking on Apple TV with Harrison Ford? You know, he's like, he's like 82, but he's still walking around and acting and, um, is 82 or like 83 or something. And you know, he's not as young and spry as he was in Indiana Jones and star Wars, but he, uh, He's 82 and he's still acting, and I think that's—I ex- actually think that's really significant. Um, there are things that we can do to to uh, increase the chances of getting there. Not guaranteed that we can do what we love or what we're passionate about at 80, but there are things that we can do to increase our chances to get there. That's the objective: to delay death and get the most out of our extra years. The importance of strategy—why bef- uh, we should put strategy before tactics. read the bracket on page 44 okay so strategy before tactics this is why we can't just skip ahead to the tactics where i tell you what to do if you're tempted my advice is to pause take a breath and settle in without an understanding of the strategy and the science that informs it our tactics will not mean much and you'll forever ride the merry-go-round of fad diets and trendy workouts and miracle supplements. You'll be stuck in a medicine 2.0 mentality, seeking a quick fix to your problems. The only way to become an, an, an adroit, adroit, tactician. Ad, I don't know what adroit is. A d r o i t. The only way to become an adroit tactician is to shift your mindset to medicine 3.0. Which requires becoming a master strategist first, and that's why I, I think in in these chapters he is explaining the process of these kinds of diseases, are uh, his best and the science's best understanding of where they come from, how they develop, and how they become lethal. Um. Our approach to longevity is a critical step to consider before jumping straight to the tactics. There we go. When it comes to strategy, he observes three categories of deterioration, mental, physical, and emotional. Three, topic, three points that we talk about all the time. He says, quote, longevity as a concept is really only meaningful to the extent that we are defying or avoiding all these vectors of decline simultaneously. Uh, Let me read that again. I kind of blanked out. Longevity as a concept is really only meaningful to the extent that we are defying or avoiding all these vectors of decline simultaneously, mental, physical, emotional. There we go. Yeah. So longevity approaches the mental, physical, and emotional side to all four of those horsemen. That's how longevity becomes meaningful. There we go. The tactics fall into five broad domains, exercise, nutrition, sleep. Emotional health, and exogenous, exogenous molecules, meaning drugs, hormones, and supplements. But those are the five broad domains of tactics. It's not when he said, and again, when he says exercise, it's not run three miles every day. Uh, and I, again, I haven't I haven't read much yet on these on the tactics. I said I'm almost halfway through the book, uh, but these are the five broad domains that we will talk about eventually. Exercise, nutrition, sleep, emotional health, and exogenous molecules. His goal, quote, is to equip you with a set of tools that you can apply to your own specific situation. Not to tell you how to exercise or what to eat. There we go. Yeah, how many times have I said that already? Is that is that, more, is that point made clear yet? His goal, whoops, I just read that. Okay, and then he says something else about exercise on page 48. And you know we love to read about exercise because it's one of those things that all of us, most people know they should be doing. Most people know they should exercise, that they should go to the gym or they should go for a run. You know, I I love to see somebody who's out of shape outside running because they're in like either they're either, you know, either they're coming back from some kind of illness or injury that's prevented them from exercising Um, or they've just, they've never been in the habit of it or the, or the, I guess there's the chance that they have a unique body type, but, um, you know, it's one thing to see like a super fit person exercising. And it's another thing to see someone that's not fit exercising. And, um, it doesn't matter if you're super fit or if you're not super fit, the exercise itself is what's important and the consistency. uh, or, 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 yeah, of doing it consistently. He says on page 48, I now consider exercise to be the most potent longevity drug in our arsenal in terms of lifespan and health span. The data are unambiguous. Exercise not only delays actual death, but also prevents both cognitive and physical decline better than any other intervention. We've heard that from Doctor Anna Lemke, and we've heard that uh, from Adam Alter in the last book that we that we read. Well, I think he talked more about sleep, sleep and sleep deprivation, but at least Anna Lemke has talked about exercise as the most potent form of uh, phys- of intervention that we could do to pr- promote our own health. Exercise, That's the number one. Uh, and again, doing exercise the wrong way can be can can be equally detrimental to our health. So not yet. So hang tight. We're going to talk about eventually the proper kinds of exercise, how we should implement exercise in our lives to increase our our longevity. But we're not there yet. But keep in mind, exercise is number 1. Amongst the other four, you, you remember you remember all the five? It's exercise, nutrition, sleep, emotional health and exogenous molecules. Oh, did I read the whole paragraph? Yeah. Oh, no, I didn't. Let me continue. We also tend to feel better when we exercise. So it probably has some harder to measure effect on emotional health as well. My hope is that you will understand not only the how, but the why of various types of exercise. So you will be able to formulate a program that fits your own personal goals. Awesome. Talking about exercise just gets me so excited, especially when, according to the author, it's the most important aspect to our health. I I'm of course excited to read about and discuss nutrition, sleep, emotional health and supplements and hormones and shit. Um but ex- exercise is just always the one that stands out the most to me. Uh there are so many different ways to exercise. And like I said, like I've said before, you know, I'm I'm still dealing with my rib injury. I I tried to play pickleball yesterday and I was, you know, I'm able to but I'm just like exceptionally sore, and I know that I should be resting so that it heals quicker and more effectively, so that I can get back to playing my sports. But I fucking love to play pickleball. I love to golf. I just can't even pick up a, a golf club without my ribs exploding. It's wild. Um, so I go on lots of walks, you know, and I and I do lots of body weight exercises instead of lifting the really big and heavy kettlebells. I, I spend a lot. I you know my, my exercise routine consists of a lot of kettlebell uh, exercises and movements but not recently my exercise these days is walking around my neighborhood and body weight exercises which is still exercise but it it, all exercise impacts us differently and that's why i'm excited to talk about it he suggests strategy that is quote evidence informed since evidence-based research is lacking uh, he says there may never be evidence-based research for longevity since it takes too long. But remember the Har- – then I, uh, I'm, I'm speculating here. Remember the Harvard happiness study that is over 100 years old? Um, 100-year-old longevity studies can be done, but they would require a lot of effort and time. Yeah, he suggests uh, – probably because there are none that are done, right? Evidence um, – yes, e- evidence-informed rather than evidence-based which sounds a lot like pseudoscience, right? But it's not. Uh, evidence, evidence-based is what we want. Evidence-based is what we want to go for it. But he's saying there is no evidence-based data for longevity. Not yet. Just like there wasn't ev- any evidence-based um, studies for happiness. And that's why I brought up this uh, – that research that the, the Harvard study research on happiness – and it's still being conducted to this day and i believe it's over 100 years old where harvard has studied, has followed a group of guys a large sample of men from harvard and their families over time for over, over 100 years to de- to determine what brings a person the most meaning in life uh what makes them what makes people happy actually genuinely happy and the number one for those of you who aren't familiar with the study or the results the number one uh quantifier or qualifier for happiness is exercise. Just kidding. It's not exercise. It is uh, re- your, the quality of your relationships. Uh, that's the number one predictor of hap- of human happiness, according to this Harvard study. And um, exercise, but exercise is on the on the on the list. Being physically engaged in some way. Uh, there are lots of other there are lots of other metrics that are worth discussion, but of course that's not the point of this this episode of this book um we're talking we're talking right now oh yeah we're oh, wow i lost my train of thought but i've got it back baby yeah peter says that he's skeptical that there is you know we can't go off of evidence-based information and we can't right now be uh, for most things because there's not there's not anything to support or there's not much to support these there's not you know meta-analyses of these longevity uh claims but i suggest i think that there could be at and there will be at some point at some point we will learn how significant a specific uh behavior like um i i just know from listening to his personal podcast i think it was called the drive right what was it called let me see yeah the drive he measures literally every rep of every exercise that he's that he has done in the last several years to determine how each rep and each exercise impacts his physical well-being like his you know his homeostasis and what exercises are better than others and i just think if you if you do that with enough people over a long enough time you'll have hard evidence evidence evidence-based research to suggest what actually promotes longevity but again he's Peter Tia, I don't know if he's—he's he's not really leading the charge. I'm—I'm uh, I'm new to the whole concept in this context, but um, still, you know what he's doing, I think is significant. And what and and the way that he conducts his research and the, his claims, how, how he promotes his claims, I—I I, I think are um, credible. Nothing is nothing is ever sound. Nothing is ever uh, proof, right? There are things that will strongly suggest one thing and some things that will lightly suggest some things. And uh, it's up to us, it's up to the scientists, whoever you are, to dial it in, right? And to get everything, uh, all of the research, primo perfect. Uh, but we're not there yet again. So, anyway, we're, we're here talking about evidence informed strategies. The sources of data to support this evidence-informed strategy include studies of people who have lived beyond 100 years old, often in good health, lifespan data from animal models, ideally between multiple species and not just mice, for example, human studies of the four four horsemen, the molecular and mechanistic insights derived from the study of aging in humans and animal models, and Mendelian randomization, which is a new concept to me, so I wrote a couple definitions, this is the bridge that closes the gap between randomized control trials and pure epidemiology. And again, epidemiology, which uh, defined by the CDC, means the study of the distrib- dis- dis- bleh, distribution and detriments of health-related states or even or events in specific populations, and the application of these studies to the control of he- of health problems. That probably made zero sense. Because I stuttered and it's, uh, it's a new concept to me. So I'm going to read it one more time. Epidemiology is the study of the distribution and detriments of health-related states or events in specific populations and the application of this study to the control of health problems. So we're studying the four horsemen and we're studying how people live to be 100, to be 100, um, We're studying molecular and mechanistic insights derived from the studies of aging in humans uh, and this Mendelian randomization, which is still a mystery, but it's a part of it's part of his criteria. Um, We've got a few minutes left. I think I'm going to dive right into part two and uh, talk about chapter four, which is centenarians. The older you get, the healthier you have been. Uh, Because I got a few notes. I think we can, you know. I I like I got to say it every time, but I like to keep my episodes within an hour because I want to respect your time. And I also have shit to do. And I think I I don't know. I think the easy the episodes are easier to listen to when they're broken up like this. Maybe not. You know, maybe not, but maybe. Okay, yeah. Part two, chapter four, centenarians, the older you get, the healthier you have been. Uh, Remaining young biologically is, quote, the effect that we are seeking to mimic to live longer with good function and without chronic disease and with a brief year period of morbidity, brief, a brief year, <laughs> briefer, and with a briefer period of morbidity at the end of our lives. So that's, that's what we're seeking to mimic is uh, live longer with good function and without chronic disease with briefer period of morbidity at the end of our lives. So basically we just live like if he, he has a graph, I remember the graph in the book where like typically health span and lifespan on, an, on a graph on an X and Y axis, you know, your health usually starts high when you're young. And as you get older, it just like it stays pretty, pretty high until you get to like 50. And then it's like a steady decline um through like your 60s and 70s and dying in your 80s. I think the average death, average age people die is still in the 80s. But his goal is to turn that graph from that steady decline after your 50s or 60s to stay high as you get old. And then when you hit 80 or 90, uh, it just like falls off and then you die. So that's what he means by um, briefer periods of morbidity. We, uh, We just feel better longer. Even a lot of centenarians end up dying from the horseman just later in life than most. I didn't really, I didn't really explain it earlier, but centenarians are people that have lived two or longer than a hundred years old. That's what a centenarian is. So even a lot of centenarians end up dying from the horseman. They just die later in life than most. Those with relatives that live to a hundred or longer have a higher likelihood of reaching a hundred as well. However, for the rest of us without centenarians in our family, Dot, 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 and then read the quote, I say. How suspenseful is that? Is that suspenseful for any of you listening? Okay, so, however, for the rest of us without centenarians in our family, read 68. Where? This is actually good. This is actually good news for those of us without centenarians in our family tree. Because it suggests that even on this genetic level, there may be no magic bullet. Even for centenarians, longevity may be a game of inches where relatively small interventions with cumulative effect could help us replicate the centenarians longer lifespan and health span. Put another way, if we want to outlive our life expectancy and live better longer, we will want to work hard to earn it through small incremental changes. Again, that's your that's your own personal accountability and its discipline over the long the long run. Because remember what um, Angela Duckworth said in Grit, one of my favorite quotes of all time is that is um, consistency over the long run is everything. It means everything. While she was talking about, you know, like a hard work ethic and success, the same concept applies when it comes to achieving this Achieving longevity, consistency of making good decisions over the long term. Quote, while your genome is immutable, gene expression can be influenced by your environment and your behaviors. Genetics and environment both play a role in longevity and that and that it may be possible to implement interventions that replicate at least some of the centenarians good genetic luck. Yeah, so some some uh, some centenarians just have good genes, which allows them to live forever. You know, live a long time. But there are some things that can be replicated, is what he's saying. And uh, there are ways to. Uh, he says gene expression can be influenced by your environment and your behaviors. Yeah, so environment and genetics both play a role in longevity. That's yeah. There we go. Okay, more on our goal slash strategy. Quote, we must focus on delaying the onset rather than extending the duration of disease. And not just one disease, but all chronic diseases. Our goal is to live longer without disease. Usually once a disease, you know, takes hold in life, um, especially if you let it go unchecked. As, as any disease progresses, it becomes diff- more difficult to check to uh to stop to pre- you know prevent from continuing progressing or to eliminate entirely so that's why it's so essential to catch all of the shit earlier than to wait w- w- uh, which is what medicine 3.0 suggests rather than waiting until the disease has taken hold and we start to feel the symptoms of sickness uh, which is what medicine 2.0, do- 2.0 does um, um, not catching disease or preventing in the first place but figuring out what to do once it's taken hold. Okay. Next, uh, next week, maybe later this week. I don't know because we're doing this on Tuesday. I don't know when I would be able to record it, but next episode, at least we're going to talk about eating. We're going to talk about, um, more about genes and, uh, how genes influence our, uh, our ability to live for a long time. We're going to talk about health. I'm sorry. We're going to talk about heart problems. um, yeah, our, our heart illnesses, blood-related blood, il- blood related illnesses, and we're going to talk about uh, cancer, more about cancer and where it comes from, what do we do when we get it, how to prevent it, all of that kind of nonsense. Not that there's a cure. Again, just what science understands, what, what we can do, what we know we can do or should be doing. You can uh, f- join us live, of course, if you go to my blog and find my YouTube, Facebook, or Twitch or if you know, you can just try to find them by searching for it. But you can go to my blog, Caden Kelly's blog.wordpress.com. Find the YouTube, Facebook, the Twitch where we go live. And actually maybe with this new app, I think I might actually only go to live to Twitch or to YouTube. I don't remember. But in any case, we go live. You get if you follow or subscribe, you get notified when we go live and you can join us live. Be the first to see it. And then otherwise they could post it. Post it to Spotify and Apple Podcast. Uh, the next day, or within the next couple days, usually it's the next day. And then, yeah, once a week, maybe twice a week, until we get through these books, uh, so we can get through these, through these book books more efficiently. If you got any feedback, of course, I'd love to hear it. I love cr- uh, constructive criticism and feedback. Um, I, I have my, I think I've got my my email on the blog. Uh, I don't, I don't really. You know, I, I'm only really on TikTok anymore. I don't and I I don't I haven't posted much lately, besides the podcast episodes. So if you want to leave any comments, send me an email. And besides that, we'll be back next time with more talk on longevity. Let's take care of ourselves. Let's take action. Let's take responsibility for ourselves because we are in control of what we're in control of. Not of everything, but we're in control of some things. Let's do our best to play our part to increase our health, to increase our lifespan. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.